And now, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. to Down the Garden Path, where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I am Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design, and with me once again across Zoom is my co-host Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Joanne, and good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. You know That's what? Right. What a textbook mm-hmm. intro. Oh, was that one good? <laughs> I, I, you know. <laughs> After I, last week. I, man, I, I, I just, it was like butter. It was beautiful. <laughs> I mean, you guys, wow. That's enough said. That's going in the books. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we should cut it and just like just roll yeah. that one every, every every time. Well, congratulations! That sounded thank awesome. You. Oh well, thank you, thank you. It's about time, you know, seven years to get it right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome Aww. everybody. It is still June, and we are excited to continue our uh, deep dive into some of the colorful and resilient staples of the perennial garden. And no garden is complete without some interesting perennial foliage. So the last couple of weeks, we've mentioned some of our favorite bloomers and long blooming plants. And tonight, I'm excited that we can dive into um, foliage because I think that's a really often forgotten aspect uh, of of a garden as well as a perennial garden. That's right. That's right. And why don't we just dive right in? And I think tonight we're going to divide it into groups. Um, so we'll talk about some of our favorite foliage uh, perennials uh, for sun and some favorite uh, foliage perennials for shade. And even though we are focusing on uh, the beautiful, wonderful foliage and the textures and the color that they're going to bring, this doesn't exclude those plants' abilities to provide a little bit of flowering interest either. However, these guys, even when they're out of flower, are going to give you that fantastic foliage, beautiful colors, textures, and different shapes that are going to really be an outstanding backdrop and a great visual interest for the rest of the garden as it moves through the rest of the seasons and some of our other favorite flowering uh, garden stars who start to take front and center. So what should, uh, what should we jump into? Which side would you like to start on? I know. What side of the coin? Um, I don't know. I'm torn. Um, we, I mean, full, I think of shade. Let's start with shade. Because for me, the shade is often, is that what you're going to say? Or are you going to say the opposite? No, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm, I'm just looking at the quick list that I, I came up with some of my favorites. Uh, and we decided to do sun or shade. And like my whole list is probably parts on the full shade. <laughs> there you go. And and kind of mine too. So and because, and, and for our listeners, shade isn't, you know, gardens, everybody associates gardens with flowers and shade, especially full shade can really be challenging. There are some flowers, there's a handful or so, but really then shade becomes much more about texture and 
um, foliage color and um, size of like, you know, I mean, texture, I guess, is the size of the leaf and the, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, so texture and, and foliage, that's why we felt it was worth doing a whole show about foliage because, you know, sometimes even the short-lived, there's some short-lived perennials that don't bloom for very long, but then the foliage is really cool. And a lot of those are shade ones. Like I think of the first one that comes to my mind is Brennera. And, you, and of course, you're going to be top of mind with all the botanical names for everybody. But anyway, but, you know, Jack Frost is one of the popular ones. Brenner has a nice green and kind of silvery leaf, really interesting leaf, beautiful periwinkle blue flowers in the spring, but then the flowers are done. And so, but mixed in with hostas and Japanese pasted ferns and some other shade plants, it still really looks interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it really does. It really does. And that was the first one that jumped uh, into my mind, too, was, uh, you know, that Siberian bug gloss or uh, Brunera is its genus name, uh, Brunera macrophylla for the full full name. Uh, yeah, it's a fantastic one. And I love it because everyone thinks that there's just, it's one of those ones that you can replace hostas with and uh, it still looks fabulous and gives you that visual interest. Uh, yeah, so that one was definitely on my list. One thing about uh, Brunera or Brunera potato potato, I think it comes down to, um, after about five to six years, they do benefit from some division um, oh, okay. just to stay a little bit vigorous. Uh, they can get, again, kind of on the, the I guess, short-lived or not short-lived, however you want to look at it. But after a while, they kind of um, like collapse in on themselves in the root zone. So by dividing them and just kind of stimulating them that way, you'll get a longer life out of them, those bigger clumps. Ooh, good to yeah. know. Good to know. And one that's kind of similar, similar but different, is lungwort. Yes. Weird, weird name, I know, but different leaf shape, but kind of the same thing. It's where the leaves, are, you know, beautiful pink, pinky, purpley uh, flowers in the spring, almost the same time as the Brunera. And, um, but then the leaves are long, elongated a little bit more and have like almost like polka dots on them, right? Yeah, you can get polka dots, you can get uh, just a solid silver leaf with a green margin, you can get the right. solid green, uh, the, the solid silver without the margin. And they're, they're quite beautiful, long strap like leaves. It has that interesting texture again, that kind of that pubescence to it, uh, where it's kind of fuzzy and felty. Some people like it and some people this feels really weird too. Ah. Uh, but yeah, they're really neat. And they're a lot of, with the flowers as well. Um, and I'm going to mix this up because I always do. Um, and I think it's pink. And then I think they go blue, but it might be the other way around. But they no, come I think I think they come out pink and they kind of go blue. You're right. They go blue? That's why I kind of stumbled. They kind of go purple. So they're not as blue as the as the Brennera. They're kind no. of yeah, they're more of a purple. So yeah, they start out pink and go purple. And that's why I hesitated because I'm like, are they two different plants? But no, in my head, they kind of go both. And I have both in my garden, my shade garden. Um, yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. So they're really neat. So as the flowers come out. Uh, on those uh, clusters, on those end of those nice fuzzy spikes, they'll come out that pink color. And then as they age, they'll slowly one by one or a group of them. And depending on the cultivar, they do it slightly differently, but they'll flip to a different color. So you get mm -hmm. that fantastic, bright foliage, uh, and then you get a unique and interesting flower uh, for the season as well. Yeah. yeah. 
<coughs> Excuse me. And I think the biggest thing there is, and I know I've made this mistake where I have one of this and one, like I have one Brunera and often my garden's kind of built with what's left over from other sites and stuff like that or whatever. So, um, Brunera, you know, so I'll have one of this and one of that, but I think it would make for somebody who really wants a sharp looking shade garden it is to really plant a little bit heavier on some of those, especially if you don't want it just to be hostas, you know, um, so a shade garden, everybody kind of obviously associates with shade, with hostas. So I think if you really want to have something else added in there that really has some impact, then think, plant, don't just plant one Brennera like I did and one lung work like I did, um, plant, plant multiples. And I think you'll have a bigger impact. I'm planting in pretty dry shade under my uh, Crimson King maples. So there's, you know, so I'm figuring like I only want to do one of like one thing I can find a hole that I can actually get something to grow in. Um, so I know some people are in that position, but uh, otherwise I think these plants are, are really worthy of that because they are, they can be, the foliage is so showy that people I think will notice that. Yeah, definitely. Um, some of the cultivars to kind of take a look out for, uh, take out, take a look for majesty. So it's that beautiful full silver leaf. Uh, again, just as we were describing, uh, there's moonshine, which is kind of like a marbled speckled kind of look. Um, we've got Excalibur, which again is kind of, it's got that silvery, but it's got a little bit of a chartreuse silvery to it, which is really sharp. Uh, Vader is one of the ones that you're going to see a lot of. Uh, with that nice rounded speckled, almost like perfect little circles speckled amongst uh, the leaves as well. And then leopard, again, it's kind of a uh, brighter, almost a chartreuse green with the silver superimposed upon it as well. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so what are you, do you have a couple other favorite shade ones? Uh, we do. And I was uh, just jumping in. Um, I was remembering, oh yeah, Matt, we have uh, listener questions we could, uh, check yeah, no, well. I just, I just saw one too, but go ahead <laughs> and answer you? that question and then I'll jump and I'll read, uh, uh, you answer my question and then I'll read, uh, okay, perfect. I was gonna say. <laughs> um, I think one of my other favorites, um, is Ligularia. Um, so it's a, uh, can be a, a smaller one, uh, like a medium size to a larger perennial often called. Uh, elephant ears, but it is a perennial. It's not like the big broad calicaceas and alocaceas, you know, the tropical summer bulb that we plant that gets those monstrous, monstrous leaves. Uh, but these will get green and or purple leaves. They're rounded. They're very serrated. Uh, usually, I, and if I'm remembering correctly, uh, they're about mid to late June, I think, um, where they start to get their flowers. I might be off on that one. Uh, but they're usually little yellows, little spikes with little clusters of yellow daisy likes uh, on the top. But when they're not there, you've got these beautiful round cups with some interesting ser uh, serrated margins on long arching stems. And it almost looks like a pond plant because it does like uh, some more moist mm -hmm. locations or a moist yeah. partial shade. Uh, and I've seen it used well in a full sun, but in like a water setting as well, because it has okay. access to all okay. that water. But it is that. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. And it has um, an un, like the top of the leaf and the underside of the leaf yeah. are two different colors, too. So that kind of makes it neat um, as well. And I didn't I, I had that on my list as well. I didn't know whether, it, you know, because it could go in part sun as well. 
it can take a little bit more sun, but like you said, it still, it does want it to be moist. So, um, so yeah, so that's a good choice. Um, one that's popular as far as native plants is, um, uh, Solomon seal, but it also comes as a variegated Solomon seal. So I have both in my, in my garden in that same dry shade garden. And I have to say that the variegated one is so much showier and so much like it's a little shorter and more cascady and really has an interesting, uh, interest to it. Um, you know, the, the regular one that's green and is arching and then the flowers kind of hang from it. Is lovely too. And it does provide a real interest in texture. And again, really neglected dry shade areas, you know, very hardy and not invasive, like, but all of these plants kind of pretty much stay where they are. Um, but the solid, there's something about that variegated Solomon seal. Yes. And one of my favorite variegated is um, uh, double stuff. If you've ever seen uh, ah, the, the cultivar double stuff it's yes. got a little bit more than that just that like um just that subtle variegation it's very much more painted white a little bit more banded um okay. and then it has some nice uh brownie red stems that arching mm. stems hardy to zone uh three and then we're it's usually about two feet tall uh so it's a smaller one two feet by about a oh. foot and a half I'll have to send you a picture of mine because that might be what I have. Oh, yeah. Maybe you have that one. Yeah. Yeah. But we should get to Helga's question. Thank you so much for writing in. Um, I love the on topic. She's asking about perennials. What are the easiest perennials to plant and just let them go um, with no maintenance? Thanks. Well, there's there's a lot. I mean, I, I think sometimes they'll die out if you don't do anything. But what are your some of your favorites? Um, well, I mean, hostas. Yes, for for foliage, for sure. Uh, Hostas, for sure. They're just so easy. There's just so many of them. We have a shape and a size. I mean, what else is there to say about hostas? Yeah, Yeah, after five or six years, though, you may have to divide it if it starts to kind of die out in the center. Same with ornamental grasses. I know my neighbor and I have them. He put them in maybe 10 years ago between our driveways, and we just divided them this year because they really you know, we're starting to die out in the center, but they lasted 10 years. So, you know, um, Helga, there's a couple of those. Um, my mind. Yeah. My mind went straight to like the Japanese forest grass, uh, that was there. Any of the sedges, the carexes, uh, tend to be interesting as well. Ice dance mm-hmm. is quite nice. Mm-hmm. Um, can be invasive though. I mean, sedums too. Yeah. So some of them, it's tricky because I think some either need dividing or else they go a little too crazy. So some of the sedums, which we're, I'm sure going to talk about in our sun section because they've got a really cool and funky foliage. Um, but they are, they're pretty much, you know, as long as you plant them in the sun and you don't baby them too much because they, they love it dry and hot and, um, you know, sedums, whether they're the ground cover ones or the globe ones, uh, I think um, those are ones kind of plant and forget about it. Um, Rutabecca that we talked about last week, you know, is it, once it's established, it's it's pretty much plant and forget about it. Yeah. So I think yeah. there's a few there for you. Helga, thank you so much for your question. Yeah. We've got a couple other questions. Um, we've got Florence is written in. Uh, Hello, Joanna Matthew. I usually don't write into radio shows that I listen to, but yes, your introduction of the show was very pleasant. I love your topics as well as Susan Poisoner's on your radio station. Please keep well flow. 
Well, oh, thank you so. very much. And thank you for tuning in uh, to, you know, our other uh, Hort people, our other horticultural colleagues here on the radio That's station. right. That's right. Always glad to hear. Um, so Ralph has written in and he said, hello, I know that most of your shrub type perennials are usually green. I see that you were talking about some color in these plants. What are the best coloring plants? Thank you. Oh, excellent. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about today. Uh, so the whole show will be talking about different colored leaves on our perennials. Um, Ralph, from the, we're talking shade ones to start, and then we're going to move to the sun ones. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of good ones depending on your growing conditions. Uh, right. That's right. And don't forget to write us. What are some of your growing conditions? You have some spaces uh, that you'd love to uh, fill in and uh, where you're from. We love to hear where everybody is from. So don't forget to write us in studio 101 at gmail.com. That's right. I think the combination, um, just going back to shade and, and color with shade, and this will hopefully help Ralph as well. Um, it often looks like a shrub, but Sun King Aurelia, A-R-A-L-I-A, uh, is a very chartreuse. No real flowers on it, but it's really great, bright foliage for shade. Um, it's odd that it's called Sun King, too. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, it looks really good with bugbane or snake root or simisifuga, right? Those are all the names that that one plant comes with, which is a burgundy foliage, also growing in shade. So it's harder to find burgundy in the shade, but it's possible. And, um, and I love the burgundy, even in the sun, I love the contrast between burgundy and yellow. Um, so yeah, so those are two of my other favorites that I do use in designs. Um, often. Yeah. Yeah, I love the Sun King as well. It is very, uh, that's very funny um, that it's called Sun King. That one is um, hardy to uh, zone three, uh, Aurelia cordata, uh, and in quotes, Sun King, for those who are listening. Um, and then, yeah, she's going to grow about uh, 30 to 36 inches tall and wide. And she's an average to moist soil uh, and a good quick grower. So if you've got some space in there uh, to fill, she will do it quite at a good pace. She's doing it gonna, quite nicely. I love that you said uh, the bugbane, the simisifuga. And simisifuga used to be its genus name. Um, and it's now changed to Actea, uh, A-C-T-A-E-A. Uh, and then you so cute fuga is so much more fun to say <laughs> <laughs> right it's like that um, uh, yeah it's like metasequoia glyptostroboides I love that one <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah yeah so it was um simicis fuga erasmosia uh, or you can also see the the colored uh, like brunette or hillside black beauty uh, or um, chocoholic or some of the darker colored cultivars and they were simicifuga uh, simplex. I know at the garden center right now, we've got a lot more um, of the chocoholic type. So um, again, the very open, um, a big leaf, it's hard to describe. It's um, kind of, it's it's a, a big leaflet. It's all divided into little sections of uh, other smaller leaflets. It's really quite interesting uh, and goes quite nicely. Um, but these guys can grow anywhere from about four to five feet tall and usually about three feet wide. They're nice. They're rabbit resistant. And what I love most about the Simifugus Tifugas, uh, they bloom from, depending on the cultivar, anywhere from summer through fall. Uh, but they get these taller spikes 
that are nice and very fragrant, or a lot of them are uh, nice kind of white to mauvey pink bottle brush, uh, and that have a nice fragrance to them. Um, I like, um, I'm going to say it wrong, but I think it's Lawrence Park uh, in Toronto uh, that's about what is it? Young Street in Lawrence. There's a little Lord's Park there that you can go down and they have a beautiful planting uh, on the other side of a cedar hedge. And I love it. Late August, early September, you can just walk through this private little path and they just release this beautiful, beautiful uh, yeah. scent. It's so much fun. But that was That's definitely cool. also on my list. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I mean, I figure we would, you know, you know, it's hard to surprise each other for, for this kind of thing. So we'll see. We'll see if we can if we can surprise each other. I mean, Japanese forest grass, you can't beat that. Um, a little bit more temperamental, like you kind of have to get the conditions perfect. And I also find it to be a short lived, much like its sun loving cousin, um, Japanese bloodgrass, I do find them can be a little bit on the short lived side. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that is true. Um, oh, I think we've got another uh, question up. And we'll, uh, yeah, there we go. Sorry, um, John just wrote in. Uh, hello, can I leave my tulip bulbs in place every year? I live in Toronto, thanks. And yes, John, you can. And you want to leave the foliage up until they brown naturally. And they die back and go yellow. They're going to absorb as much energy and feed as much as they can into next year's flower in the bulb uh, so that they can flower for you next year. If you cut them too early, they won't be able to construct or get enough energy to build next year's flowers. Some will do it better than others. Uh, some that are naturalizing will grow uh, and feed that bulb more quickly. Uh, but yes, you can definitely leave them. Uh, you know, you can bend them in half. And I've seen people uh, tuck them, bend them down and put an elastic around them just so they kind of bend over but not break and hide amongst other annuals or perennials that they plant there. But yes, if you want them to flower again or come up, you definitely want to leave them in. Just be careful where you're digging so you don't chop them in half because they do go dormant and they lose their foliage. Right. So Matt, instead of like, we want the foliage to die out slowly so that the nutrients, you know, from the dying foliage goes back to the bulb. Um, Is it like, do we need to keep them all the way? And that goes for tulips and daffodils and alliums even Um, like at a certain point, can you cut them? Like if you're not, not everybody's going to want to, you know, braid them or do the elastic band thing. Do you think if you cut them like six or eight inches and just give them a little bit, like does that work too? No, you can definitely do that. You can cut them off, cut them in half and cut them down a bit. And just to kind of get you closer to the ground, if you didn't want to do all of that, or if they don't really hide well, or again, you've got so Mm -hmm. many of them, it's just impractical to do that. You can, you just end up with a smaller area for photosynthesis. So she may, um, just depending on the bulb, they may not do it as quickly, but yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I just think about new gardeners, like in my mature garden, I can kind of, I can, in most places I can hide the foliage, but somebody who's planted new, you know, um, a new garden and planted bulbs in the fall, and maybe you're doing like a lot of annuals in the spring and summer, you know, it's harder to hide those. So um, if you can, if that's, you know, if it's a toss up between taking them out and cutting them to like eight inches so that you can make them a little less noticeable, then, then you can give that a shot. So, yeah. That's right. Um, so going down our list, we're talking about our favorite foliage perennials um, and uh, in the shade. And we'll jump mm-hmm. to 
the Sun Perennials afterwards. We're talking about surprising one another. Um, let me see if this one, uh, what do you think of Mookdenia? It's one of... Wow, there Mook- you go. I don't know what that is. So, woohoo, you, sir, you got me. Guys, did I get you? Yes. All right. And I've got a surprise with that one, too. Mookdenia rosii, uh, R-O-S-S-I-I, crimson fans. Uh, so partial shade. Um, can tolerate a little bit more heavier shade, but does best in the partial shade. It's a very big fan-like, um, very shallow, almost like palmate leaf, um, dark glossy green, but it gets its the crimson fans is probably the most um, popular cultivar that you'll see. Corasaba is the technical botanical name. Um, oh, is really, there a common name? What's the common name? Yeah, uh, just crimson fan uh, mucthenia. It's a weird Mukdenia. <laughs> I like Simisifuga. It's a fun one. I know. I love saying Simisifuga, <laughs> though. I just love it. <laughs> so she'll bloom clusters of white flowers uh, in early spring to mid-spring. Um, it is deciduous in the winters, and it's a, a clump-forming, uh, slow grow. But Crimson Fans goes a beautiful, dark, uh, fiery burgundy red uh, in the fall. And this one... Um, Again, average moist soil, moderate care, uh, sandy to clay soil, so it can take some tougher soils. And she's going to grow about a half, a foot and a half to about 23 inches to 24 inches wide. Uh, and then just beautiful deep green going red in the fall. Great for borders you and containers. I have that in my garden. So Get out. I didn't oh. know what it was called. But yes, but one of the uh, the grower, um, she her name is also Joanne, and uh, she gave me this plant. You know what? I've, it's been sticking in my mind because I actually didn't plant it deep enough, so it's like two inches out of the ground. So every time I look oh. at it, I'm like, oh, oh, I need to get a shovel and fix that. And then by the time I look for a shovel, I'm like, poof, squirrel, another thing. Um, so that is definitely the leaves. I had no idea. She convinced me to take it last week, last year and said, you know, you've got to try this because I tend to like to try things, you know, my own garden, although I'm yeah. running out of room. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so it doesn't not. So it doesn't flower. That makes me kind of. Oh, no, it, yeah, it does actually flower. Yeah, it'll oh. get um, uh, little white bell shaped flowers appearing in spring oh, okay. um, before okay. the leaves or um, sometimes with the leaves right at the beginning. Uh, I had that one in Nana's garden as a little bit of a border. Um, and I had sometimes both of them were there at the same time. But how do you find it in your garden? I I love I, it. I, yeah, it's funny because I have it in full sun. So that shows you how I did not put go. it where it was supposed to be. And it is too de- and it's too shallow. So I need to move that to the shade. There you go. There a, you. a little toughy, little shade guy. Yeah. And then one of the things um, that I also like, and it kind of moves into one of our um, other other perennials is um, Mook Genia. So they've taken Bird Genia, which is another that partial shade uh, shade plant, big rounded, uh, broad, glossy, fleshy leaves. Uh, again, goes beautifully red in the fall. Big, thick. Um, they remind me of primulas, those big stalks with all those big pink flowers on the top. Okay. In, in the or like Virginia. Summer. Virginia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Virginia. Okay. So they've they've crossed Virginia with um, Mukdenia to make Mukgenia, and it looks yeah, it looks more like the um, 
Virginia. Like a liger, you know, like they crossed a lion and a tiger. <laughs> yeah, made a liger. <laughs> exactly what they did. <laughs> and then the um, Virginia gets the like the serrated edges to it. So it still gets that color, ah. but it gets a really cool texture and a, a serrated uh, color. And every once in a while, I'll see a sedum that has a very similar leaf. And I'll be like, oh, Mukji. Oh, no, it's just a sedum. Never mind. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, well, that's interesting. Um, coral bells, I think, you know, there's some that do better. They would, to me, really kind of go the part sun to full sun kind of category. But there are some that will take a little bit more shade. Um, the tiarellas, right. you know, will, and, and that actually, when I look at the mucadenia flowering, it reminds me of a tiarella a little bit, you know, with that flat white lacy flower. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so yeah, so those would be kind of other options as far as uh you know interesting because you mean once the flower is done the thing about the spring blooming plants is there they tend to be short flower short flower for a short period of time yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah and the long bloomer but how do you say the opposite of long bloomer right short bloomers i don't know um so yeah (laughs) so anyway yeah they're a great group of uh, the heucheras uh, like you said, more of that part sun to full sun. Tiarellas, uh, there are some native North American and Ontario tiarellas. So they'll take that partial to full shade. Uh, and then you'll get that group as well, where you'll get the heucherellas, where they've crossed the heucheras and the tiarellas because they're related. Uh, and you get some different forms and habits and beautiful colored leaves as well. Um, like hostas, there's so many different uh, wonderful leaf colors out there. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite that's on the top of my mind that I, I always love, uh, Forever Purple. Um, and to me, it's just like a, just a beautiful, almost ethereal, rich, dark purple. I just love it when I, I see it. So Forever Purple. Uh, but there's so many great standbys. You know, there's Lime Ricky, uh, Marmalade, Caramel. Caramel, Caramel yeah. Too. Caramel's one of my favorites, yeah. It's just a yeah. unique shade of color in the garden. You know, it really kind of pops. Yes. Even though yes. it's it's kind of an innocuous kind of color, it's still, a, it's really kind of cool. So it is. And really those cool. are definitely planted. Like the fact that some of them flower, you know, inconspicuously, as far as I'm concerned, is kind yeah. of bonus. For the most part, you are planting them for their foliage. Yes, exactly. Like hostas, they're going to flower. They'll send up some spikes. Some people really like them. Some people just don't really care at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll cut them off. For it. But it is the foliage that you're really growing those ones for as well, for sure. Yeah. Good. Good. So, yeah. So that was a half an hour talking about shade plants. So I hope everybody enjoyed <laughs> that. Stay tuned. We are going to talk about sun ones as well. And if you missed it, uh, if you were late joining, then we definitely will have uh, it on the podcast app. Right, Matt? That's right. That's right. And as we reach the bottom of our hour, uh, you know what? Thank you, everyone, for joining us here on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host, Joanne Shaw, and you are listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the guests that join us here on the show. Spend some more time with us down the garden path. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. 
Our handle is at Down the Garden Path Podcast. You can also find us on your favorite uh, podcast provider. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And please don't forget to like and share and leave us a comment. We love hearing from you and where you're from. Uh, you can also join us as well uh, offline on our own websites. You can find Joanne at Down the Number Two Earth. .ca, and you can find me at naturalaffinity.ca. That's right. And we've got lots of uh, great perennial, uh, past perennial episodes. This month, we're mm-hmm. looking at some specific groups. Uh, but you know what? Last year, we did an intro to perennials. So everything you need to know about starting and growing your perennials. And then we looked at some uh, perennial ground covers, the group of ornamental grasses, peonies specifically, because uh, they're beautiful and out right now. Uh, and everybody loves a good peony, uh, and perennials attracting beneficial insects, as well as our other one, Shade, which we've kind of talked about a little bit now on today's uh, foliage plants, but Shade Beyond the Hosta. So again, another deep dive into a lot of different uh, perennials for the shade to liven up your shady garden space. So Excellent. as we wrap up shade, sorry, were you going to no, say? No, <laughs> okay. I'm just going to jump right in. There we go. So as we uh, wind up their shade, we have one more listener question. I'm sure we're going to get other listener questions, but um, Angela is asking in these so-called shade gardens, do you need any sun at all? I have areas in my yard that have, that have absolutely no sun at all. Um, I, I think there are plants that will grow with no sun at all. I think in, and mine is the case, I think soil conditions almost is more important than, than the, than the light, Angela, like if it's, and that's my struggle. So I get virtually no light and I have really dry kind of crappy soil full of tree roots. So I'm constantly putting coffee, like anything ever I have like organic goes there, but I know that the tree takes it all. Um, so yeah, so I think many of the plants we we mentioned, um, you know, especially the na- like Solomon seal and Brunera, like some of those, I think are, will do fine. Yeah, definitely, I agree with you completely. It's that soil conditions, um, just that rich organic matter. Our trees tend to completely wipe out uh, that soil. But you know, if you go into some of those shady areas on your walks, you know, they have a little bit of that better untouched soil where things are just composting and you can always find you know interesting ferns and other plants that are populating that area and there can be very little sun or very bright indirect sun uh, and things can still thrive there so but yeah Mm -hmm. I agree with you more Mm -hmm. so that that's that soil conditions yeah and we didn't even talk about ferns like I I think really the uh, Japanese painted fern I mentioned at the beginning Mm -hmm. Um, but I have a client who's yeah her garden is yeah, the house faces north, the garage garage covers, you know, it's virtually no shade, but because it's by her front door, no sun, sorry, but because it's by her front door, you know, it's got good quality soil and she babies it and waters it and, you know, really her plants uh, look great. So her shade, you know, her Japanese forest grass and and uh, her uh, Japanese painted ferns and, and uh, things do well. So yes, there is hope, Angela. I just think organic <laughs> matter, depending on why you have shade, whether it's just on the north side of something or whether uh, it's under trees, you know, um, definitely it's possible. It's definitely possible. The light of hope even shines in the shady garden. Exactly. But 
I think that we are going to move now from our shady garden and take a step out into the light uh, and talk about some of our favorite full sun foliage perennials. Um, kind of piggybacking on one of the ones we just ended our shade section with, uh, our heucheras, mm-hmm. right? They're going to take that partial shade to that full uh, sun, and they come in a wide range uh, and variety of different foliage colors, lower growing, mound forming, um, quite nice uh, as groups and as borders, etc. So what are some of your favorite sun perennials that you love for yeah, that beautiful yeah. foliage? Um, well, I mean, one of my new favorite uh, is actually, so it's, it's not, it's very common in just say irises, but it's the variegated iris. <gasps> oh. So, you know, its bloom is very short. Um, it's more of a, um, like a grape, like a light purple. So it's not the dark purple that I personally love as far as a cut flower goes. So it is a light purple fo- flower, but the foliage is to die for. It's like the perfect height. Some of the irises, you know, the foliage is quite tiny. Some of the bearded irises, their foliage is like in your face, too big and floppy and messy looking. This one's perfect. And it's variegated green and white and kind of a nice creamy white too. So it is often like I get almost as much attention in my neighborhood as people walking by asking what that is um, when it's not in flower as I do when it is in flower because it really looks interesting and it really blends nicely with other perennials that it's blooming around that's blooming around it. Um, I added a couple more. So I have one like kind of mature one and and two baby ones that I planted last year just because I wanted that repetition in the garden. So you kind of can't beat that vertical kind of, you know, shape and interest to the garden, but also the fact that the foliage has got that uh, green and and creamy color. Um, So that's one of mine. Uh, You know what, that's definitely one of mine as well. I love um, that flat bladed arching foliage. It's absolutely stunning. Um, Iris palata, Argentia variegata, uh, specifically, and the thing that (laughs) that's a mouthful, but right, (laughs) Argentia variegata. Can you spell that? You Um, can put that in the show notes (laughs) because. But yeah, hardy to to zone three to nine, um, silver variegated sweet iris or zebra iris, some people call it. Mm. The thing that gets me is those purple flowers that you mentioned. Um, If any of our listeners remember making. You know those little paper package you probably remember too. You know those little paper packages of Kool Aid that you'd mix for the kids. I've heard that. Yes. If you like Kool Aid, purple Kool Aid. If you rip open the purple one and took a sniff of the powder, that's what their flowers smell like. I show everybody that every chance that I can get. I absolutely uh, uh, love it. There yes. you go. There you go. What's your favorite? One of your favorite sun-loving ones. Oh, you know what? I am definitely more of a shade creature uh as far as the foliage um goes for sure okay um but i do like a lot of um probably I, my biggest group would be the sedums um i love mm. the low growing especially like the low growing ground covery sedums mm-hmm. um things like iceberg it's just so fine uh covering themselves in those beautiful yellow foul flowers one of my uh more the more recent flavors were favorites were uh, dazzleberry. Yes. Um, you introduced me to dazzleberry and I really like it. And you also can't forget Angelina. Yeah. On, exactly as well on my list. Yeah. Bright gold, spiky little leaf leaflets, very succulent looking, nice yep. ground covering. Um, 
you know what I can't, have you ever seen, and maybe I haven't seen a more mature clump. Have you ever seen Angelina bloom in person outside of uh, pictures? Yes, my garden. Yeah, I've got two really big swaths of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, and I, she, to be honest, I don't really care about the blooms as much as I like it, right? Well, and that's it. For me, it's always been the foliage. And I just see these, you know, these smaller groupings or clumps uh, that are never in, in the flower because uh, the foliage is just so striking. Yeah. Uh, bright gold. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. stunning. And the bonus there is they tend to be very easy to propagate. So you can like break off a few stems and like sprinkle them in another area. And then they'll slowly root much like a succulent, right? They'll kind of root and, and take off, but easy to like, certainly not invasive by any means, but uh, seriously, there is a whole, I think when we say sedum, everybody thinks of the good old standby autumn joy, which looks like a big cabbage that has big kind of burgundy brownish um, flowers in the fall, but oh my gosh, you need to do a digger deeper dive. We could have done a whole show on sedums. Maybe we'll have to do that for 2022, but, um, there is a (laughs) lot, you know, um, that are different. Like the, like you said, the low growing ground cover ones, um, dragon's blood, Angelina, um, some of those ones that are very, um, close to the ground. And then there's things like dazzleberry. That's a little bit more mounding, um, firecrackers, another one, a little bit more um, mounding and then you get into um uh, is it matrona morona what's that one it's definitely burgundy uh foliage um almost looks like i think matt's frozen there on the screen nope. oh, oh, no oh he's back here okay <laughs> um uh, definitely um almost like a uh barbary it looks like a concord barbary it's morona i think um is a is yeah. right okay Moron. so yeah so definitely you know think outside that good old standby autumn joy because there's a lot of uh, sedums out there and I think with the craze on the interior plants of the succulents you know that has fueled people getting more adventurous uh, in developing some of the sedums outside so um, so yeah yeah and, and you know speaking of the the perennials in or perennials house plants inside. Uh, that echeveria group, that kind of yeah. rosette basil leaf, uh, you know, the uh, silvery blues, blues, reds, you know, they're, they, to me, remind me of hens and chicks uh, outside of those right. hens and chicks, right? And you can get beautiful burgundy uh, foliage. They're very low, spiky, look like the echeveria by inside. Cobwebs is probably my favorite one. Uh, it's maybe a little messy in appearance for some. Uh, but there's like a very fine cobweb that as each of the new ones open, it pulls apart this cotton that gets caught on all the little tips uh, of the perennial of that new little rosette that's opening. So it looks like, you know, Halloween, like a spider has moved around each individual head and has uh, put spider web on it. So this is a, a cool textural thing for me. But those are all also uh, perennial as well. So if you're liking some of those indoor plants definitely jump out into your succulent section. Yeah, yeah. And what I, I do have quite a few uh, varieties. So what I'll do if, if anybody's following me on Instagram or down the garden podcast on Instagram, I'll take I'm trying to take a little a few more videos trying to improve my video skill. Um, I'll take a little video of the different uh, succulents, different sedums in my garden. So you can really see um, I've got quite a variety of them and, um, and I need to get more. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so t- check out uh, uh, down the garden path podcast on Instagram and I'll uh, do a story on those um, um, when it gets cloudy again or that, <laughs> that after the show. So, um, so we do have, I know there's lots more sun things to cover, but we do have some questions 
Um, so uh, Chris has wrote, written in saying, are there any perennial plants or shrubs that grow tall that I can use as a yard divider? Almost like a fence or hedge, but not quite. Just something that is full tall and will give some horizontal coverage. I can't think of perennials. Um, can you? My mind, my mind always jumps to uh, the giant silver grass. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, like yeah. Well, he doesn't say, Chris. You don't say how high, and you don't say the color or the sorry, the sun amount. Like certainly, ornamental grasses. You know, if there's sun, then definitely ornamental grasses work great, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you can go from five, you know, three footers to six footers, like you said, the big grass. Um, that kind of thing for a shrub. I think, you know, you could definitely get into, um, um, privet or alpine current, um, you know, some of those, uh, that you can do, you know, which are a little different than the standbys of cedars and, and things like that. Um, but ornamental grasses, I think if you do have sun, then I think ornamental grasses is, is a perfect thing to do. One of my favorites for, um, sun's is sun as well. Uh, have you heard of the pillar series of Rows of Sharon? Um, so I normally see purple pillar and white pillar, uh, but they're about three, three and a half feet wide. And then they grow that eight to 10 feet tall. Uh, so a very narrow, upright Rose of Sharon, almost that same kind of shape as, mm-hmm. you know, an emerald or an upright cedar. But they're going to give you that flower as well. Okay. So those are some of mine for some. My, yeah. My only hesitation though, if that's in the front yard, people have to be really super, super patient because you are not going to see anything, even a leaf on that until right. like, even now, are there any leaves on any Rosa Sharon's yet? Like really? So I don't know. I'm kind of one of those that's fine for the backyard when you're not really, nobody else can see it. But that's one of my little pet peeves, Matt, I have to say is, you know, no, so many people dig them out and bring them back when they're not really dead. It just you really need heat to get going. And sometimes we have heat earlier, consistent heat, because we have had a really heat this year, but it hasn't stayed consistent. So the, the Rosa Sharon's can be super, super late, too. And once they go, they go for sure. Right. And they do put on a nice show in August and September. But, um, but yeah, otherwise it looks like a dead tree until the end of June, which it can be awkward in the front yard. So. Yeah. Ours all have leaves. Um, the ones in my neighborhood and the one at the ones at the garden center, both the shopping and the bed ones, okay. um, but you, you are correct. They are a member of the hibiscus genus. Uh, so that woody outdoor hibiscus and they like to sleep in. Um, so uh, maybe one of our other perennial uh nice foliage but again just slower into leaf and then almost right into flower so it's more of a flowering one yes that that dinner plate um hibiscus that hardy hibiscus Mm. has uh, some beautiful like midnight marvel uh, has some beautiful dark foliage which dinner plate size uh, rosa sharon blooms come off in contrast so yes no good point they they are a little slow uh it's just something a little different and unusual as far as a, a rose of Sharon and something. For upright. sure. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Um, Ken is, so I hope we answered your question about the divider. So hopefully that works. Um, Ken is saying, uh, even though it's going to start to get really hot here in Ontario, can I still plant perennials that are given to me? Thank you for your answer. Um, Ken, start. <laughs> yeah. Where are you, Ken? It's been hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. I, I'd be more. The question I would reword the question, Ken, is to should I be planting the perennials that people give to me? So, 
that tends to be a thing where mm-hmm. I think that, and, and even on some of the Facebook groups and there's people giving um, um, free plants on like Facebook marketplace, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the bottom line is people are giving you, they are not giving you their prized perennials. They are giving you something that they have too much of, which means very shortly, you will also have too much of it. Um, so that's something to think about. I mean, honestly, Matt, I've seen people giving, sell, selling tiger lilies, ditch lilies on Facebook, you know, for three or $4. Yeah. I mean, they have their place, I guess. I don't really think so, but, um, and I don't think people know. And, and so, so can just be careful. Um, yes, I think you can still plant perennials. Um, Matt and I, or I'm still installing them in gardens for, you know, I don't really stop. Um, they need to be watered and a little bit more TLC. Maybe sometimes you cut the blooms off and let the roots get established and then they'll rebloom. Um, but more importantly, just really research what people are giving you. That's how gout weed has spread and things like the t- ditch lilies. And, you know, something that once you plant it, lily of the valley, you're never, ever going to be able to get rid of it. So um, that's my advice there. Yes. Uh, and (laughs) (laughs) get down from there. No, (laughs) no good advice. Yeah. Um, no, it's very true. It's very true. Um, rarely do you see, you know, unique, rare cultivars, uh, anywhere that people are, are giving away. They're usually selling them, um, or, or, you know, they're in groups or something like that. So yes, buyer beware. Um, it kind of, I think jumps into maybe Mike's next question. Um, Mike is looking any suggestions for ground covers, uh, growing around, any maple trees. So mm-hmm. I think that jumps back to your, you were talking about your dry shade. Um, you've, you have some things like your, um, oh my goodness, your um, Solomon seal that's mm-hmm. in there. I don't know if it's really a ground cover per se, Mike. Uh, one of the ones that I like um, and have always liked are the, um, sorry, the epimediums. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So a little yeah. slower growing. Um, but the epimediums that are, or barren wart, uh, very nice. You know, they've got the beautiful hues in the autumn, uh, grow about 12 inches tall, 18 inches wide, hardy to zone four, uh, spreading slowly, nice, delicate stems, very interesting, uh, looking leaves. And then they do get some red and yellow, uh, flowers in the spring, depending on who you've got and you can get the mm-hmm. combination of them. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's, um, the big root, um, Bevin's variety, big root, uh, geraniums, the geranium macrorhizum, which mm-hmm. next week, if you guys don't know, because we probably haven't told you yet, uh, mm-hmm. we are talking about the perennial geraniums. Uh, that's another good variety as well. 12 mm-hmm. inches by 18, uh, deer and rabbit resistant, hardy to zone three, uh, cranberry red in the fall. So it's got some nice fall color. Uh, and then she's got some nice magenta pink flowers that, mm-hmm. that cover her as well. But yeah. Um, uh, any other ones that you maybe have that are working lovely in the? No, I mean, I actually have a hosta, a small hosta that's almost going like a ground cover. So, so hostas are an option. I think go, try for some of the smaller ones. Cause I know everybody tries to do, cause the problem with the maple trees is you've got a lot of roots. Yeah. Um, so some of the bigger, uh, bigger hostas are harder to find a, a you know, spot to plant. Um, but um, Mike, try some of the smaller, tinier hostas that have a, a shallower root. And you can, when you kind of group three or four or five of those together, they will kind of grow in and be a bit of a ground cover um yeah and uh, a tiarella i think would be the other one as long as mm. as well as the big root uh, geranium i think yes. that's another one that will spread a little slower um pachysandra 
yep. the little, you know, that's another ground cover that uh, will eventually take off. Um, so yeah, so you just need to keep amending the soil a little bit, knowing full well that the maple tree is taking most of it. So, um, so yeah, so just kind of being aware of that. Uh, yeah, so thank you for your question. That is right. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, um, oh, Sam, he's got the deer problem. So Sam has written in oh. saying lots of deer in my yard going after my perennials. Are there any that they hate? Ooh, you know what? I uh, don't often plant for deer. I um, don't either. But you know what? There is a designer that I follow, Jan Johnson, um, in upstate New York, where there's lots of deer. She does have some really good recommendations, and they're all not coming to me at the moment. Um, but uh, if you want to look her up, Sam, uh, Jan Johnson, um, S-E-N at the end. Um, on Facebook, she's got a great Facebook page and she talks quite a bit about um, deer resistant plants, deer, deer resistant perennials. Um, I know it's a little bit like rabbit, like they need to have some texture to them and some odor to them. Um, you know, like Russian shade yeah. and some of those things that they don't particularly like. Um, um, so I know that's the case um and deer fencing or a little bit of fencing <laughs> and stuff. So thank you for your question. I'm sorry. I know. Yes. We, we'll like we're running that... at a time. I know. Yes. I think maybe we have time for one more question. Um, and then we'll have to wrap it up for another evening here on Reality Radio. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, Craig writes in, are there any perennial plants that you should not divide up and give to neighbors? Are there any that if you do, uh, they will die? Mm. Thank you very much. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any that if you don't divide it at the right time um, and divide it when it's old enough that it'll necessary, like just the fact that you divided it will flat out kill it. Um, right? Like if, if you're doing it properly and you're doing it at the right time yeah. of year and moving it uh, and you're caring for it, you're not, you're not doing it in the middle of the summer um, when everything's hot and bare and dry. Uh, you should be okay. Um, do any jump to your mind? Well, more so, not that you're going to kill it, but just the fact that it won't be successful in the dividing. And that's anything that's yeah. got like a tap root, which I think of the the mm. poppies, the most popular poppy. And actually, I found my Japanese anemone uh, lately. I tried to give some of that to a friend, uh, to a neighbor. And as I was digging it up, it was very tap rooted. And what I was able to dig out, she didn't, it didn't survive. So I think it's more the type of plant. I think there's very few of them, um, but uh, definitely I know everybody loves that red and orange poppy uh, that grows with the almost like that very, um, very fancy leaf almost, I think, weedy looking leaf too, almost dandelion-ish um, and furry and stuff. But anytime somebody wants to share those, um, they you virtually impossible to kind of divide that because it's very much a, a taproot. So that's the only thing that comes to my mind. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You have some euphorbias, lupins, columbines, bloom flowers, you know, those, those are some of those ones that have tap roots too. Mm, And then the other, just the other part of Craig's question, uh, should not divide and give to neighbors anything that you find in your yard that's invasive, kind of going back to Joanne's soapbox. If it's (laughs) moving quickly and you have to rip up and divide it that early and that quickly and give away, 
um, I wouldn't be giving it away, especially, yeah. you know, like snow on the mountain that we just, just, yeah. I don't even know why garden centers sell it. Yeah. Uh, and tiger lilies and yes. the valley, yeah. like anything that's super aggressive in your garden. Um, then just it's just, yeah. If you need to, you know, compost it, then compost it, put it in the brown box or the brown bags, but, uh, uh, do not, uh, do not share it, um, and spread the fresh, spread the, spread the frustration around. So, uh, I want to leave one last, uh, perennial that is a, like we did talk about the sedums and the iris. Um, and, uh, I want to mention the, um, and I don't often use it. Um, Nancy uses it and she loves it and it's called the, it's the color guard yucca. So same idea as my iris, but instead of it being blue and white, it's more green and yellow. And uh, she says it's just it's just got such a great presence in the garden. And uh, um, so, you know, as far as foliage goes, there is less that is sun that we would just plant for the foliage. But I think the color guard yucca, uh, much like, again, that um, variegated um, iris is, is one of them. It definitely, and it's a broadleaf evergreen, um, so you're going to have some of that color as well. The leaves uh, will kind of bend over and wilt, uh, and you'll get a nice uh, big tall white spike, I believe, in July, uh, if I'm remembering, of nice bell-shaped white flowers, but that's another great one as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thank you, everybody, for what's all these great uh, perennial questions. Um, well, I'm excited. we still got a couple more weeks, right, of talking about... Uh, about perennials and next week like matt mentioned we're going to talk about perennial geraniums or um what's their cranes bill cranes bill is their common name. that's right that's right so the season is still going and you know we've had some well uh, needed rain not enough well needed rain but some good well needed rain um although the landscapers would like it to stop raining because they still want to keep their jobs moving ahead. So I'm always very torn because I want them to stay on schedule, but yet I want the garden to be watered. Uh, That's right. So join us uh, next week as we talk about perennial geraniums. And then in July, we're moving through into popular shrubs, starting with a deep dive on uh, high geraniums. Thank you, everyone, for uh, tuning in, writing in all of your wonderful questions. Thank you very much. And we hope you'll join us here on RealityRadio101.com next week for another exciting episode of uh, Down the Garden Path. Good night, everyone. everyone, and good night. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your hosts. Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing, right here on Reality Radio 101.